0: Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. All right. Now, I don't know. I was in the back. I hope nobody left because I was playing Bob Dylan. But you said, why are we listening to Bob Dylan on a Sunday morning? Well, one, because he's cool like that. But that song, he got right. That song is right. I think he must have read the book of James before he wrote that song. Because the truth is, you got to serve somebody. Everybody in here, you're going to serve somebody. You may have already decided that. Or maybe you're in the process of deciding that. But I want you to know at the end of the day, at the end of your life, you will have chosen to serve something or somebody for your day. And that's what we're going to begin learning. I want you to turn to the book of James. We're in this uh, new series, James, which is a, a faith that works of faith that works now if you if you want to know where James is at you can go to the very end revelation back up to Jude that'd be James's brother then you're going to go to third second first uh, John and then second first Peter and you will land in James James is an amazing book it's called by many the proverbs of the new testament it's also called the uh, uh, the book for, of practical Christianity it could be called Christianity for dummies because it's just real simple stuff five short chapters you can read in about 30 minutes 108 verses and it is jam-packed with just practical stuff not suggestions but imperatives commandments things that you should have in your life if you are a follower of Jesus Uh, I'll go ahead and give you a warning over the next several weeks you might just want to wear your big boy big girl underwear because James don't play James describes us and he tells us in our life if you are a follower of Jesus your life should look different than the rest of the world now it's the first book the first manuscript written in the New Testament the New Testament Old Testament they're not in chronological order James's book would be the first book written about 45 to 48 AD James would pen this book now as James writes it he never gives a pause for our excuses he never puts in there a time out uh, for our questions and he never gives any opportunity for debate James is going to tell it like it is and as a reader of God's word we're called to listen to it and by listening it doesn't mean just to hear it but listening means to listen and apply I promise you over the next next several weeks, you will in fact learn something about how you can better, more victoriously live your Christian life because James gets it. Now, I've, in my years of being in ministry and as a follower of Jesus, I've invited tons of people to church, shared the, uh, the gospel with many, many people. And this is what I've heard many, many times. Well, I've tried the religion thing and it really didn't work for me you ever heard that I've tried the religion thing it really didn't work for me let me let me, let me, let me tell you something this religion thing I'm I, I'm not asking anybody to try a religion thing I'm inviting people to try a relationship thing I want to tell you something about a walk with God through Jesus his son it is not given to uh to work for you the gospel works in you and on you and then your life changes and it works through you for the glory of God amen Christianity is not something that works for you it is God doing a work on you in you and through you and there is a profound difference and when we get that we it changes the way we live our life now I need to be very clear about this uh, Martin Luther, who was one of the great reformers, he broke away from the Roman Catholic Church. And, and when, when, when he swung the pendulum, I believe he swung it too far. So he lived in a, in a Roman Catholic world where it was a works-based salvation, meaning this, you contribute to your rightness with God. What you do changes the way God looks at you and determines how much he loves you and whether you go to heaven when you die. And it was works-based. And so in the early Roman Catholic Church, they would say, okay, you come you got sin in your life, you want to be right with God, cool. You come and you confess it to a priest, uh, you pay penance, you pay. You give them uh, financial resources and then you go and you do uh, deeds of goodness to make yourself right before God. And so he, he read the scripture and he's like, I'm, I'm reading this thing, it, it ain't, that's not what it looks like. Okay. What we're doing here doesn't look like this, the Bible. And so the pendulum swung and it swung way over here to the other side that says, listen, Either you're going to be saved because God chose to save you or you're not. Now, I'm not there. I'm, I'm in the middle with James. Martin Luther would say, <clears throat> James is a gospel book uh, of straw, that it shouldn't even be in the Bible, <clears throat> because somehow it, it affected his uh, tenacity against any work. So let me be very, very clear, okay? James is a book about faith that works, Okay? Your salvation is not based on any of your good works, okay? You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, per scripture alone. That's how you're saved. Grace, faith, Christ according to scripture. That's it. It's Jesus plus nothing else, okay? when Jesus saves you, you can contribute nothing else to being saved, all right? So when we say James is a faith that works, what are we talking about? Are you ready? When you are saved by grace through faith in Christ, you are saved now to good works. You are saved to live a life of good deeds, it doesn't change your salvation. Listen, the only thing you and I contribute to the salvation equation, the only thing you and I contribute to the salvation equation is our desperate sinful need of salvation. That's our only part. We bring our depraved sinful self under the God. That's our part of the equation, just bringing it to the finished work of Jesus Christ. You say, well, that sounds good. How you know that scripture? Well, because Paul tells us. Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his creative work, having been created in Christ Jesus. Listen, for good works that God prepared beforehand so we can do them. You get it? Are we clear on that? Saved, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, but we're saved to do good works, okay? Now, James is going to tell us over the next several weeks some of those things that we're saved to do that changes the things in our life. James is going to give us a balance between a salvation that saves and a salvation that serves. You see, they go hand in hand, like a hand in a glove, uh, He'll tell us in a few chapters that if if you don't serve and you say you're saved, you have dead faith. Your faith is dead if it's not demonstrated in the way you live your life. When God chooses to save us on the inside, we agree with that and now we choose for it to change us on the outside. We live in a world that wants the salvation on the inside, but it doesn't want to change the outside. We live in a world that wants a Savior that will deliver them from an eternal destiny called hell, but they don't want a Lord to keep them from living like hell in this life. You know that's true. The reason, the number one reason, according to survey, the number one reason people reject salvation in Christ is because they see people who say they're Christians that live no different than the rest of the world. Church, we're supposed to be different. When Jesus comes into our life, he rocks our world. He changes us from the inside out. The Bible says the world should know that you're a Christian. Listen to me. If your children, or your parents, or your spouse, or your boss, or your peers, or your team, or your school, or your neighbors, if they don't know you're a Christian, you're living in sin. Your life should be radically different. My life should be radically different when Jesus is in my life. Scripture tells us that Jesus said this in John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, I give you a new commandment. Jesus said, you're supposed to love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now listen, verse 35. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world should know that you follow Jesus because you love people, because the love of God has come into your life through the love gift found in Jesus, his son. And so some of the situations, uh, you've probably read these five chapters, these 108 verses, this 30-minute read. You've probably read it before. I hope you read it every week. But we're going to learn these lessons, at least 13, over the next several weeks. We're going to learn that faith should be working in our trials. Faith should be working in our relationships. Faith should be working in the temptations that we face. Faith should be working in our actions. Faith should be working in how we treat each other. Faith should be working when we serve God. Faith should be working in our words or in our mouth or on our tongues. Faith should be working in our wisdom. Faith should be working in our priorities. Faith should be working in our plans. Faith should be working in our resources. Faith should be working in our expectations and faith should be at work in our prayers. James would say, if your faith ain't working, you got a dead faith. And so I hope through this this study that the Holy Spirit, not the preacher, not your spouse, the Holy Spirit will move in your heart to realize, okay, if I'm really radically changed on the inside, it ought to show up on the outside. Holy Spirit, reveal to me how you want to change my life so i can conform more to the the life and the will of jesus in my life so i can experience victory in my christian journey anybody know any defeated christians we've all been there at some time and we all know some at sometimes there's nothing more miserable than being a defeated christian i remember in a season in my life when i was in college i was born again i was saved I didn't act like it. I was conforming to the world's ways. I was listening to the wrong voices. I, 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 put, I put other things above God. I was miserable. I was miserable. I could go to the parties. I was miserable at the parties. I could go to the wrong places. I was miserable in those places. I could have those conversations and use those words, and I was miserable using them and miserable going to them because Christianity that's not alive on the outside is miserable on the inside and James is going to address a lot of areas to help us understand now James is going to introduce himself in just a minute you'll see why this is so big I got good news bad news you ready for this uh for this series it's only five chapters that's the good news the bad news today we're going to cover first one (laughs) I hope to get all of it amen that's it's, it's that good we're going to see how you get to this place where you can write a book like this that makes it in canonized scripture and it's so profoundly impactful in life because we're going to see that James knows that this world is hard but James knows that his God is bigger Uh, James is going to tell us that your world is going to be hard but your God will always be bigger that's good news I want we got some stuff in this place okay we got some business, some stuff going on. you got stuff in your life. You know you do. Just You don't have to tell you. Just shake a little bit, let me know. You just a little bit, yeah. Yeah, shake all over. Yeah, you, that's right. I'm with you, brother. It's everywhere, all right? I want you to know, James says, this world is hard, but God is always bigger. And you need to embrace that. Now we're gonna see how we're gonna do that. James is gonna help us. But I'm gonna give you a warning. Next several weeks, You better wear your big boy, big girl underwear. Because if you've read this book, James don't play. He don't tiptoe around truth. He don't say, well, you can do this or you can do that. He says, this is the the situation, and this is how you're supposed to live in it. And it's hard, but I'm telling you, it's good. And James understands it. So it's a faith that works. The title of today's message, Bob Dylan got it right, who will be your master who will be your master because you're going to serve somebody it may be the devil and it may be the Lord but you're going to serve somebody it's just true so let's dive into this book with a verse James 1 1 this is what it says from James a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad greetings now some of y'all just thought wait a minute He's still got a good half hour to go, and he's going to get it out of that. I'm telling you, there's some juice in this fruit right here, okay? And we're going to squeeze on it, and we're going to get this stuff out. He says, my name is James. And he says, "I am a doulos. I am a slave. I am a bond servant to God and the Lord Jesus Christ." That is the game changer. That's what changes James's life. That's what will change my life, and that's what will change your change your life. Is when we wake up one day and we say, "My name is, and I am a slave to God Almighty, the true and living God." I am a slave to not just Jesus, not just Jesus Christ, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am his slave. He, they are my master and they control my steps daily in my life. Now, what does that mean? He says God first, the the Greek word is theos, the, the God supreme, true and living Yahweh God. He said, I'm his slave. I'm not just his friend. I don't just read about him. I don't just pray to him. I don't just talk about him a little bit. I don't just, I'm not just amazed at some of the stuff he does. I'm his slave. I can't run from it. I'm, I am bound to him willingly. And then he goes on, he says, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is Kyrios. It means master, owner, possessor. James says, I'm James and I'm possessed. I'm James and I'm owned i'm james and i've got somebody over me every day every breath of my life the he understood when the bible says you are not your own but you've been bought with a price and that price is the blood of jesus on a cross james got it i'm not my own i've been bought i'm i am a slave to him but he doesn't just say the lord he says his name he has a name And his name is Jesus he's the saver of souls and the forgiver of sins he's the perfect and righteous one who came from heaven and walked upon this earth I'm a slave to Jesus and then he finishes and he said I'm a slave to the third part of his name Christ he is the one prophesied in advance he is the one that is anointed he is God with a bod he is incarnate God with flesh I, I am a slave to the Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, to help us understand how we need to view Jesus, because some of us have a good idea about Jesus, a very, like a, a, a sensitive view of Jesus. I was a sinner, I know it, and Jesus died on a cross, and he was buried and he rose again for my sin, and I received him for salvation. And that's good, and that's right, and that's true but James kind of doubled down on that James took it to a whole nother level James said that's true but we need to know more about Jesus he's more than a man who died on a cross he's more than a man who was perfect he's more than a man who rose from the dead and all of that is true and all of that is great but that just pointed to the nature of who he was while he was here and so now we're going to skip over a little bit to another person who uh, had an encounter with him whose name would be Paul. And Paul will dive in a little deeper about who this Jesus is because you need to know this about the Jesus who saved you. You need to know this about the Jesus that James is saying we should all be slaves to. Paul says in Colossians 1:15, he says, Jesus, I want you to know, brethren. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God he's the firstborn of all creation for all things in heaven and on earth were created in Jesus and all things whether visible or invisible whether thrones or dominions whether principalities or powers all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus he himself, Jesus Himself is before all things, and all things are held together in Jesus. He is the Jesus is the head of the body, the church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that Jesus himself may become first in all things. James, uh, excuse me, Paul's saying, listen, you want to know a little bit, just to scratch the surface, knowledge about Jesus? He's part of all of it creating it holding it together and redeeming it and making it right it lands on the shoulders of the Jesus that we're talking about here sometimes we have this passive mamby-pamby idea about Jesus and our faith in him and I'm telling you right now James and Paul and all the other apostles willing to die for their relationship with Jesus they had a steel spine they had strong feet planted in the ground that said i am not ashamed of jesus i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is that which saves people they stood strong in the face of opposition and persecution because jesus is more than you and i can even understand he was before it he made everything that we know he sustains it he redeems it and a billion billion years from now he'll still be large and in charge over it. Now, when we get that, then we can read the rest of the book. Because then all of a sudden, okay, James, now that I understand, I kind of forgot. I didn't get the memo of the greatness of King Jesus in my life. Once I get that, everything else will kind of pale in comparison. You see, salvation without lordship is like citizenship without paying taxes you want the benefits but you just don't want the commitment right and that makes no sense nobody in the right mind would would say that's a good plan and nobody in the right spiritual mind would suggest that having Jesus as savior without allowing him to be lord would be God's plan James is not bashful about who he is when he he's telling us that when Jesus comes to save you you become his slave everybody just say that I'm a slave it's okay it's okay but now wait a minute Joel you used James is saying he's a slave you just asked me I thought when we get saved we are free we are totally free when, when we're free, we're free from everything bad and liberated into everything good. Dylan got it right. You're going to serve somebody. <laughs> and so you can either be a slave of everything good or you can be enslaved to everything bad. The scripture tells us in John 8:36, if the son sets you free, you will be really free. You know what he, he sets you free to do? To be enslaved to him. Okay. And so, so sometimes we get the wrong idea about the idea of slavery, okay? Uh, let, me, let, me, let me put it this way. In the Old Testament, there's slavery, bad, slavery, good. Joseph, who we know the story, was cast into the well by his brothers, sold into slavery into Egypt because they were jealous of his groovy coat, more or less. So he goes to Egypt, and he works his way through the ranks. You know, he gets put in jail, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And while he's in prison, he interprets dreams, and then he gets out. Anyway, God has his hand on Joseph, and he's a slave in Egypt. But he rises in prominence because he can interpret dreams, and he becomes the prime minister, the second in charge in all of Egypt. But he's a slave. They loved, Pharaoh loved Joseph because Joseph had God's hand upon him. And so, in the right time, there would be a famine and and, uh, Joseph's family and all of Israel would need protection and provision from the famine. And so, they would come to Egypt for refuge. And Joseph would, strangely enough, be the one large and in charge. And so, God would use slavery of the nation of Israel under Egypt for provision and protection it was a relationship and it was it had wonderful values and it was almost like a family almost like an employer employment relationship and there was nothing wrong or ungodly about it but if you keep reading you find out that there's a day in moses's life scripture says that the pharaoh did not know joseph he didn't know how it was when God's people and, and Egypt were working together side by side, even though Egypt would be the master and Israel would be the slave of Egypt. And it's bad. They're held in uh, against their will. They're treated poorly. Their provisions are taken away from them. And ultimately, Moses will lead them out of captivity. So slavery is not always bad here in America. It has terrible roots, and America still suffers from the scars of the ungodly view of slavery. Our nation went through a season where somehow men decided it's okay to own and to mistreat people of other ethnic groups or people of other socioeconomic conditions. That one group of people somehow is more valued and more valuable than other groups of people. And so we would buy and sell and beat and mistreat and kill people of other ethnic groups. I want you to know that is a sin before God. I want you to know if today, if you harbor hatred, toward Asians or if you harbor hatred toward black folks or if you harbor hatred toward white folks or if you harbor hatred toward poor folks or if you harbor hatred for toward rich folks listen you need to go before God on your knees and repent that is a sin okay God created one race the human race and when God created the human race, he placed in them an image of himself. The only part of the creation that he breathed his own life into. Scripture says, we were created in the image of them. Now, we, we have a corrupted image, a sinful, broken image. But we're all image bearers, created to be image bearers of God. And so, James is, uh, is going to help us understand That before God we're all equal and we better treat each other equal okay and so it's hard truth that he's going to give us but at the end of the day we're all slaves James was quick to say hey I just want you to know I'm writing this letter my name's James and I'm a slave to God and the Lord Jesus Christ and if you were writing a letter today you could begin by saying my name is I'm almost you're like an AA meeting or something my name is I'm a slave and then put on there what you're a slave to you may be uh, enslaved to your grandchildren any grandparents feel the pain you may be enslaved to your children you may be enslaved to sports Tennessee got beat by Arkansas you're in depression today I'm talking to the people that didn't even show up they couldn't even get out of bed okay you may be enslaved to your material possessions and your wealth You may be enslaved to your career. You're enslaved to something. James is saying all of us are going to be enslaved to something. You can choose to be enslaved to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will set you free from all other forms of bondage in your life. Now you may be saying, well, that's okay for James to say that. James don't work where I work. James does not live with who I live with. James does not know my mama James lives in a different world we live in a world of persecution where it's hard to live for Jesus let me just cut through that that's a lie we live in probably the easiest place on the planet to live sold out enslaved to the Lord Jesus Christ countries all around the world Clark emphasized them they've been in on in our videos where if they catch you with a Bible, sharing Christianity, praying together with other Christians, they'll take your Bible away, they'll put you in jail, they'll beat you, sometimes torture you in front of your family, sometimes torture your family in front of you, and sometimes murder you, imprison you. We live in America. You could shout Jesus from the highest mountaintop. Ain't nobody gonna shoot you. And Meanwhile, we say nothing. Why? Why? Because unlike James, we have yet to determine who we're enslaved to. Some of us have been Christians for 50 years and we still haven't decided. You know the song, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. We'll sing it, but we don't do it. We don't live for Jesus every day because of whatever reason, because the devil has convinced us otherwise that we should follow something and be enslaved to something else. Now, easy for James to say, what about James well let's unpack he says I'm James I told you who God is told you who the Lord Jesus Christ is what about James what about who's this guy where's he come from well save you the details but there's four maybe five Jameses in the New Testament and most scholars almost all scholars agree this is James the half-brother of Jesus time out we got to unpack something else I didn't think Jesus had any brothers I thought Mary was a virgin. She was. All girls begin as virgins. The only difference between Mary and everybody else, she had a baby and never left her virgin state. (laughs) That's the difference. And it's a big one, right? And so, if you were raised in a Catholic church, you might have heard the expression, semper Virgo. They teach in some Catholic circles that Mary was a perpetual virgin, meaning she maintained her virgin status from birth till death. She had one uh, immaculate conception, one child born, and that would be Jesus, the Savior of the world. No other children. But there's a problem with that. Scripture doesn't support that. Scripture doesn't just suggest. Scripture says that Jesus had brothers and sisters. And so how do we wrestle this down? How do we make sense of it? Mary was a virgin God impregnated her through the Holy Spirit. Joseph still took her, Mary, as his wife. She gave birth to Jesus. And then they fulfilled their intimate relationship with each other as husband and wife post Jesus. And she gave birth to other children, boys and girls. We know of four boys and at least two sisters, two girls. How do we know? Scripture. It's the only way we know anything. And so scripture tells us in Mark chapter 13, uh, 53, these are Jesus's brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And he had sisters. Now he may have had more, he may, may have had 10 brothers and 10 sisters, we don't know. But we know from scripture he had at least four brothers and at least two sisters because it's plural. And so she gave birth. Now, If you are of the persuasion that Jesus was a perpetual Semper Virgo, a virgin for her whole life, um, what about these children then? Okay, well maybe Joseph took another wife to give him children, okay? Well, that's fine, but that wouldn't align with God's plan for marriage. I don't care to tell you, God has a plan for marriage. In Genesis, it's demonstrated the first marriage, when he married uh, Adam and Eve. One man, one woman, one God, one life. Now, in scripture, it also gives reasons why a a marriage can be terminated and why two people can separate and even remarry. It tells us that. But God's plan, his goal, is one man, one woman, one God, one life. And so, Jesus in the New Testament, the Pharisees ask him, What about divorce? And that Moses gave divorce. Jesus uh, embraced God's plan from Genesis. And he says listen the reason that Moses gave divorce was because of the the hardened hearts of men it wasn't God's plan so now what does that have to do with this it doesn't make sense if you are the stepfather or the adoptive father of the savior of the world and you're going to adopt the son who was born of immaculate conception that your relationship your marriage relationship would be different than God's plan and so it makes sense that uh, Joseph, like all men would rather marry a virgin, but Joseph, like all other men don't want to stay married to a virgin. Okay. I mean, you want to enjoy marriage and that's, that's biblical too. Okay. Read your Bible. Okay. So he, and she had children post Jesus. Now that means that James, the one writing this book, is would be the half-brother of Jesus now why is that important and why is it important that the half-brother of Jesus so what he can stand and say yeah I'm a slave to God and the Lord Jesus Christ of course you can James you were raised with Jesus come on right you got to step ahead of the rest of the crowd James didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah and neither did his brothers James walks alongside him, man. James is with him. He's watching him. No doubt, he and his family's like, he's different than the rest of us. No different. James and Judas and Simon and Jude got together and say, did you hear what he just did? I don't, what's, what is that? So no doubt they knew he was different, even special. But to embrace him as the Christos, as the Messiah, as God with skin on that's a big pill to swallow. And so they didn't swallow it. In fact, Scripture says in John 7, verse 5, for not even his brothers believed in him. Mark chapter 3, verse 21 says, when his family heard it, they went out to seize Jesus, for they were saying that he is out of his mind. They wouldn't believe. Now, why would they not believe? Let's, let's just go back a couple thousand years, and let's put on James' sandals and his tunic, And let's live in the house with big bro Jesus. And let's listen to a mama say, why can't you be more like your big brother? Anybody got a big brother up in here that was good? I did. I've got a brother too close to hide from his shadow. 14 months older than me. From from the moment he got out of the chute, he's doing right. He did good in school, all A's. He did what mom and dad said to do. And 14 months behind him was another guy. That would be your pastor. So when I went to elementary school, I spent most of my elementary school days in the closet. Today, they would put the teacher in jail. Where were those people when I was in school? Okay? Spent most of my years in the closet. (laughs) I was telling Hannah Bollinger, she got accepted into pathology uh, school. And I told her, I said, I went to speech path uh, to a speech There, <laughs> rises up sometimes. I went to speech pathologist when I was in elementary school. I'm not so sure it's because I couldn't speak good or the teacher was just wanting to get rid of me. I'm gonna let you out of the closet, but you're going down there, okay? And so, imagine Mary saying, "James, why can't you be more like your big brother Jesus?" And you can imagine James saying, "Well, for one thing, you've said from the beginning." that God made you pregnant and you gave birth to God's son who gets here that way hard for me to be like that Mary let me remind you we went to the temple when Jesus was 12 and if you remember you forgot my brother for three days you remember that and you went back to get him and they were astonished at his teaching why I don't know if you know it mom he knows the whole stinking old testament all of it every word of it every syllable he knows it all you got you know anybody else's kid that knows the whole old testament no no you don't he's different so why can't i be like him because he set the bar a little high it's just a little bit high mom okay and, and so then you tell him do you realize mom every argument that we've ever had he wins and i lose Did you realize every time we've ever been in a fight, it's my fault? Did you realize that? Why can't I be more like Jesus? Let me tell you something, Mom. It ain't fair. Anybody got kids? This ain't fair. And they have no legs to stand on. James had legitimate legs to stand on. It wasn't fair. His big brother was God. Okay? This ain't fair, all right? So he didn't believe. You see, James, like you, like me, had to come to a crossroads where Jesus was more than some mental exercise. Jesus was more than something physical like seeing him or attending church with other people he came to a crossroads where he had to decide is Jesus just different and special or is Jesus God is Jesus just going to be something in my mind that's kind of special or is Jesus going to be the master of my life and he walked he didn't choose Jesus to be his master and his lord But something happened between being raised side by side with Jesus and writing this letter. What could happen so significant, so powerful, that would change? Everything That would redirect his passion and redefine his purpose and realign his priorities and reassign his pathway. What could be so significant to radically change everything about Jesus' little half-brother, James? Paul will tell us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 4, He's telling, recounting Jesus' life post-crucifixion. Paul says, Jesus was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. And then he appeared to Cephas, and then the twelve, and then to 500 people at one time. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and lastly to Paul. What radically changes everything about somebody? An encounter with the resurrected Jesus. You see, James no doubt knew that Jesus was taken to be falsely accused. No doubt he knew that Jesus was beaten within inches of his life. No doubt James knew that Jesus was nailed to a cross, to brutally die. No doubt James knew that Jesus breathed his last, but to be sure he was dead, J- James knew the Roman soldier thrust a spear through his ribcage into his lung and punctured his heart cavity. No doubt he knew that they took Jesus down dead and put him in a tomb. And now... He appeared to James. You see, James went from game over to game changer with one encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And I'm telling you, the problem in our churches today, the problem in our pulpits today, The problem in our world today is there's a lot of people like James that are raised with Jesus close in the house, that are hearing the stories of Jesus, knowing the details of Jesus' life, but they've never had an encounter with the resurrected King of the universe. There's people in here today that have been raised your whole life really close to Jesus. You know the stories, you've heard the prayers, you've heard the testimonies, just like James. I want you to know people can go to hell when they die from a devout, a devoted Christian home as easily as they can from a tavern. Because we have to make a choice of what we will do with Jesus when we encounter. Still, you might say, well, James, I mean, he's first century man and he was Jesus's half brother. His life was different. James had two nicknames. One was old camel knees because he prayed so much. His knees were calloused. And James the just because he lived every day for Jesus. Every decision, every conversation, everything he did was given as a slave hoping to please his Lord Jesus. And then about 15 years after he wrote this book, he's still pastoring first century Jerusalem church. And the Jewish leaders hated the stand he took They hated his conviction and his passion and his relentless way of just sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ so they took James pastor James to the top of the temple and they thrust him over Josephus the historian says when he hit the ground although his body was badly bruised and broken and busted he wasn't dead yet so other Jewish leaders took up wooden clubs and they beat James to death you think you got it hard this is the guy that's writing this letter to you and he ought to serve as an encouragement to grow a spine plant your feet and share the love of Jesus with this world that we live in because one day it will be too late maybe because he takes us home maybe because Jesus comes and returns and takes the whole church home at one time <clears throat> no doubt Mary probably thought of James when they were in synagogue learning Hebrew memorizing verses learning the Bible stories no doubt Mary and Joseph probably had the conversations like my parents and like we've had they're not, they're not getting it they're not listening Did you see, James? He was under the table. He's not listening. He's not getting it. I want to tell you, parents, you teach your children about God. Every chance you get, you pray to God in front of them. You read the Bible to them. You teach them about Jesus. And then you pray that one day the Holy Spirit touches your child that's what happened to James they taught him and then the Holy Spirit touched him he still does that today you know that's what he does how do I know I'm the guy I'm that James okay they my parents taught me I know I know they thought I didn't know nothing I didn't either but then the Holy Spirit touched me I had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus he's still doing this now maybe you're not called to be like James the pastor of a church maybe you're not called to be like Joel pastor of a church that's okay James is saying no matter where you are no matter what you do no matter what your calling or your purpose whatever plan God has wherever you find yourself on any given moment of any given day you remind God that you are still his slave and you remind the Lord Jesus Christ I'm still yours and no matter what happens in this world I'm your slave James knew what Paul knew they threatened Paul and said listen if you don't stop preaching we're going to imprison you or if you don't start stop preaching we're going to ignite the fires and burn you Or if you don't stop preaching we're going to feed you to the wild animals and paul's like you're threatening me with heaven he says to live is christ and to die is gain you let me live it's jesus you let me you kill me it's more of jesus that's what it looks like church i want you to know god is not finished saving and redeeming this world There's still folks out there that need to be saved. There's still folks in here that need to be saved. And until he comes back, we have work to do. And James is going to help us because he writes a book about faith that works. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.